Welcome to the first episode of Thy Kingdom Come on the All Things Alberta Network. I'm CeCe Michael, your host. Uh, Thy Kingdom Come will provide a weekly exegesis of the biblical text starting uh, this very first episode one here. We're going to start with the book or the epistle of James. We're going to be releasing these every Sunday morning, so uh, just watch for those. What can we expect from this study? As we're going to cover in just a few minutes, we're going to see that, that James is a very pointed epistle that is concerned with the practical outworkings of our faith, how we actually live our life. And the, the thing we're going to find, I promise, is, is that it's not going to be easy. Um, if you take James at his word, uh, his epistle can, can hurt a bit. You see, James pulls no punches, and if you think that you've fallen a bit short on what it means to walk the proverbial walk, uh, just know you're not alone, especially in these times of uh, difficulty with COVID and lockdowns and, and uh, how our life has been turned upside down. Um, it, it has been uh, most difficult for some of us to, to walk uh, by the faith that we're supposed to have. Uh, we're going to find that James is going to have us reeling at times with the demands that he places on us, the Christian. But there's good news. Be of good cheer as he gives us some encouragement and good news as well. Unlike Martin Luther, who couldn't get past the lack of a clear gospel message in the letter, we're going to see the bright lights of the gospel. We're going to see the love of Christ, and we're going to see the wonder of of the cross. So with that in mind, if you would turn with me to the book of James, uh, we're only going to cover chapter 1, verse 1 today. And it reads, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that uh, we may uh, allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book opens with James. There's four James is mentioned in the New Testament, and there has been some debate about which James wrote this epistle. So I want to cover each of the four Jameses, and we'll start from the least likely James to the most likely James uh, who, who likely wrote the book. We'll start with James, the son of Zebedee, likely the most well-known James in the Bible. James was an apostle, the brother of the apostle John, and they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder a nickname given to their fiery personalities and outspoken natures. If you remember from reading Luke 9, verse 54, when the Samaritan village rejected Jesus, James and John asked Jesus if they should, in response to the rejection, call down fire from heaven to consume them. This James was part of Jesus' inner circle, witnessing such private events as Jesus' transfer, uh, transfiguration. He was there when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. He was there on the Mount of Olives, and he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark 10, verses 35 to 40, we see James and John at it again when they ask Jesus for each brother to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in glory. This, of course, upset the rest of the apostles, 
but that likely didn't bother them much. Do you remember Jesus' response? He said, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And what did they say? We are able. And Jesus, of course, says, Well, then, by all means. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. One of the reasons why the likelihood of James, the son of Zebedee, being the author of this book is next to zero is because Jesus' prophecy regarding the cup that James had to drink. If you'll recall from the book of Acts, James was the first apostle martyred in the faith. He was killed by the sword by Herod Agrippa in the year 44 AD. Uh, this was very early on in considering the content of the book of James and who he wrote it to. There really is no way that James, the son of Zebedee, could be the author. So this moves us on to James, the son of Alphaeus. Another of the apostles, possibly a brother of Matthew or of Levi. You know, we know next to nothing about this James apart from who his father was and that he was mentioned in the list of the apostles. As we will see in a few moments, the chances of this being the author of the book is highly unlikely. Which leads us to James the Less. This James we know very little about as well. Uh, we know his mother was one of... Uh, the Marys mentioned in the New Testament, though not the same James as Jesus' brother, who was, of course, uh, also a son of, uh, of the mother named Mary. There's lots of Marys, there's lots of Johns. Or, sorry, there's lots of Marys and there's lots of, of Jameses. There has been some debate that this James could be the same James as the one previously mentioned, but again, for reasons forthcoming, the chances of this James being the author, again, is very, very small. Which brings us to the most likely candidate, James, the brother of Jesus. James is mentioned twice in the Gospels, once in Matthew 13 and Mark 6, where a list of Jesus' brothers were mentioned by name. Because James is listed first, we can safely assume that James was the next oldest brother in the family. We know from the book that John, uh, we, we know from the book of John that James wasn't always a believer. He and his family came to take Jesus away one day while Jesus was teaching, thinking that he, rather, to put it, to put it mildly, he lost his mind. Jesus mention, uh, mentions to his apostles that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Imagine how much worse it would be in your own home with your own family. All that changed after Jesus' resurrection, of course. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7 that Jesus first appeared to James and then appeared to the apostles. And while we don't know for certain when he came to saving faith, it is safe to assume that seeing his dead brother rise from the dead would have been a major turning point in his life. It appears that by the time the persecution of the church began in 44 AD, at the time when James the son of Zebedee was killed and Peter was imprisoned, James the brother of Jesus was already a leader in the Jerusalem church. When Peter escapes from prison, he tells those in attendance 
uh, in the prayer meeting to go and tell James and the brothers about what happened. By the time of the uh, Jerusalem Council in 50 AD, James was the senior pastor, the leader of the Jerusalem church. James is recognized as the bishop of Jerusalem in church history. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19 specifically describes James the brother of Jesus as an apostle. Some believe he was appointed a replacement for the James martyred. Others believe Paul was referring to the term simply meaning messenger. We don't know for sure either way, but we do know that he was a very influential and an important leader in the early church. Uh, with all that being said, how do we come to the conclusion that this was the James that wrote the epistle? Well, if we see again how this letter opened, we have a simple James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a letter written to the church across the known world, and yet it simply says James. We can assume that this James was well known, and that because of that, he needed no further introduction. Uh, there was only one other well-known James, and he, in all likelihood, was dead at this point. Uh, textual criticism also helps us identify James, the brother of Jesus, as the author. The Greek used in this letter is relatively rare in the Bible. Some expressions are found only in this letter and in the letter sent to the Gentile churches recorded for us in uh, Acts 15 from James. So, when did he write it? Due to the persecution of the church that happened in 44 AD, which caused much of the church to leave Jerusalem, and the fact that we know James was martyred in and around 61 AD, the letter had to have been written between these two dates. If we can assume that the reason behind nothing being said regarding the Jerusalem Council and the importance of that resolution is due to the fact that it hadn't occurred yet, then the date of the letter can now be placed between 44 AD and 50 AD, making it likely the earliest New Testament writing. Well, who did he write it to? The fact that it is in the canon indicates it is written for the church in all places and at all times, of course. However, in its immediate context, we see that James addresses the letter to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Well, who were they? The original dispersion mentioned in the Bible were the Jews who were displaced by the conquering armies of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They were dispersed, they were kicked out of the land, they were spewed out as it were, as a judgment against the nation for its rebellion against God, for breaking the covenant. Now, James uses the same terminology in a twofold sense. By declaring the displaced church from, uh, from Jerusalem and the, uh, the dispersion, he is identifying the church as being Israel. The church was a continuation of the promises of God, the chosen ones who would be saved according to the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, unlike the original dispersion, which was an act of judgment against national Israel, this time the dispersion is used to spread the good news of the gospel, to share it across the known world. Persecution happened in the Old Testament due to covenant curses. Now persecution was used to send the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, King of kings and the Lord of lords to both Jew and Gentile. This was written as a circular letter to the church wherever the letter was found. 
It was written to no one in particular, making it relevant and applicable to the church everywhere. So why did he write it? We'll see in just a minute James's major themes that he covers in this epistle. But before we do, I think it's important to point out that in this short letter, James gives us 59 commands in only 108 verses. This book has been called New Testament Wisdom Literature. Much like 1 John, the book is full of piercing yet short exhortations on Christian living. A careful study of James has shown itself to mirror Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, prompting some to call it a practical commentary on the sermon. James writes to a church that is scattered across the Roman Empire, surrounded by those that don't know God, nor do they know about godly living. James's emphasis on the law is unmistakable. His constant five-chapter call to obedience cannot be ignored nor denied. James's major emphasis is on practical living, the how of Christian living. We can know all the doctrine we want, and doctrine is important, but if our orthodoxy does not work out into correct orthopraxy, how we practice our faith, then Jesus gives us the bad news that our faith is dead. Sorry, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, gives us the bad news that our faith is dead. James's letter is really a practical exhortation to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. He claims that good deeds mark true religion. He gives us numerous examples in this letter in order for us to see if we're indeed in the faith. And while each and every one of us will feel the sting of the letter over the, the next few months as we, as we go through the, the book, uh, James is also quick to point out the good news. He tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. He tells us that Jesus is full of compassion and mercy. He tells us that if we see our sins and confess them, we will be healed. He tells us God gives grace to the humble. James gives us the bad news. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. But then he gives us good news. But God gives us more grace. Some of the important themes that James covers is perseverance in the midst of trials, how we as Christians are to stand firm in the faith, as already pointed out, James concentrates much of his time on practical Christian living, how we must be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And finally, James concentrates on final judgment. Why should we be concerned about how we live our lives as Christians? Because the fruit of our lives will show whether or not we're in the faith. You will know them by their fruit, Jesus said. If we're not in the faith, we will stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and hear the worst words we've ever heard from the mouth of Jesus when he said, Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, for I never knew you. Faith without works is a dead faith and does not save. This point has often pitted James against the Apostle Paul. Paul declared that we are justified by faith alone. James declares that you are justified by works and not by faith alone. So which is it? The Roman Catholic Church used this very scripture and, and still does so today to declare that Martin Luther was wrong. Martin Luther turned around and called the letter an epistle of straw. 
the question we must must ask is what question is Paul asking and answering and conversely what question is James asking and answering once we find the answers to those questions we can quickly see that James and Paul complement one another not contradict one another Paul was answering the question how does one become saved this is not the same question that James is asking James is asking what does being saved look like both Paul and James would agree with the statement you are saved by grace through faith alone but not by a faith that is alone the overriding theme of the book is that James cared about his people near or far he cared he wanted to warn them that they were bought with a price and as slaves to their Lord they had a responsibility to live accordingly and to do otherwise is to prove yourself to be not saved so what kind of person was James well let's start off with humble in the opening he simply calls himself James what is so significant significant about that well what could he have said that's the easier way to answer that question is what could he have said James brother of Jesus he could have said that he could have said James senior pastor of first Jerusalem Church James otherwise known as the just he could have said all these things I'm always amazed at churchmen that go out of their way to give their resume I am doctor so-and-so I'm pastor so-and-so of such and such a church the largest church in all of name city here now when we introduce ourselves in such a way that draws attention to how important we are and not on how important Christ is we're not being humble but we're being blowhards making ourselves out to be someone we're not James here does the opposite instead of drawing attention to himself he lowers himself with the title of doulos a slave one born under slavery but to who God and the Lord Jesus Christ he is a slave to his big brother no pride no drawing attention to how big and important he is but quite the opposite he was small and insignificant he was simply a servant to the king he was also pastoral as already alluded to James wrote this to those that were scattered if we think back to what happened in Jerusalem James's church was scattered it's all over the place uh, that was his flock that were sent out running out of the city for their very lives and yet here James is still trying to shepherd his flock wherever they may be exhorting them to remain faithful even in times of difficulty James's letter is blunt unlike Paul's probing and searching and turning every leaf of, a, of an argument James is more like a spear penetrating to the heart the issues you and I face in our walk with God he is blunt he is piercing but he is pastoral he loves his people and wants the best for them 
He also was concerned about not closing doors to the gospel unnecessarily. It was James who wanted the Gentile believers to not use their Christian liberty of eating meat sacrificed to idols in order to avoid contention between the two camps. James understood that love should trump freedom when it comes to possible stumbling blocks. James was also knowledgeable. James's letter not only refers constantly to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but also refers to the Old Testament scriptures throughout his epistle. James knew his Bible. James understood the gospel. He understood the role of the law in the Christian's life. He understood theology. The opening line regarding being a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ was meant to draw attention to the fact that Jesus was on par with God the Father. James, Jesus' brother, was calling him God. James was also pious. James was given the nickname the Just due to his adherence to the law and by his austere way of life. James was said to have the knees of a camel due to the amount of time he was on his knees praying. James practiced what he preached, and he was no hypocrite. So, in conclusion, as we as we look forward to what uh, for for what is to come. We often wonder, sometimes out loud, what the right thing to do is in certain situations in life. And while the Bible doesn't tell us in, my, in, in every minute detail, every single thing we should do, it does give us precept upon precept. It gives us guidelines. It gives us overarching themes and teachings, all that can be used to live a life glorifying to God. And that's really what life is all about, glorifying God. We look at people like Paul and think to ourselves, I could never be like that. We are going to read the exhortations from James, and I guarantee you there will be times when you're going to wonder, can I do this? James did. James was born of natural causes like you and me. His dad was Joseph. His mother was Mary. James was, by all accounts, an outstanding Christian. He wrote this letter to us as a means of checking ourselves to ensure that we're not playing the hypocrite, to ensure that we're not full of knowledge and of little else. He wrote this letter to his sheep because he cared about their eternal salvation. The Holy Spirit wrote this letter to us because he cares about our salvation. He cares about holy living. He cares about obedience to the word. He tells us to make our calling and election sure, then gives us a letter like James, a highly practical and pointed letter to help us do precisely that. How do we prevent ourselves from being influenced from a world that has shunned God's law and dismissed godly wisdom and knowledge? More than ever, we saturate ourselves with scriptures, scriptures like the epistle of James. How do we prevent getting puffed up in knowledge and in thinking we have it all figured out? We read biblical letters like the letter of James. I pray that over the next few months that you and I will learn much from this letter and that we will more importantly apply that knowledge to our lives in order to give even more glory to him. Amen. Have a great week.